Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Evening Jules, how are you? I'm good. Independent woman <laughs> in the house, set up by myself in the house. No, I'm very happy. That's my win for the week. We say every week that one, if not both of us, have to call our husbands in to help us get set up as we're recording remotely. I did have to call in mine this evening. Well, he very patiently showed me what the record button looks like. Uh, but <laughs> Jules did it solo, so... Go me! <laughs> what else have you been up to this week? Oh my goodness, I've actually watched this show on Netflix called Trial by Media. Not heard of it. Yeah, so it's a new show, really interesting. Essentially, it's about like really prominent cases in like the 80s. So far, we've been in the 80s and the 90s. Okay. And it just shows, so the first example was basically about like, the whole like Jenny Jones show and the Ricky Lake show and the Jerry oh Springer God, show. I love those shows. <laughs> yeah, but then it, it was like it, things became so media intensive. Like the 90s was when courthouse media or the or you right, know right, trials right. minute by minute you know were happening in the media. So mm-hmm. you were essentially being tried. The first trial was public opinion and the second was actually in court. Right. Um, so that was the first episode. The last episode I watched was basically when this young woman in the US in the 80s, in the early 80s, went to a bar at night to buy some cigarettes and was gang raped. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she lived in like a Portuguese community and she was gang raped by Portuguese immigrants. And so when, you know, this whole trial was happening, the Portuguese community kind of took it as they felt like, oh, she asked for it. What was she doing out there? Oh God. And they felt that the immigrant community was being scapegoated. Yeah. There were six men that were on trial, two for just cheering and like watching and four for actually committing the rape. Oh my God. Two were let off and the four that were convicted. After the trial, thousands of people came out into the streets to protest these men being convicted of raping this woman. Really? About 10,000 people. One day, 10,000 people came out in the street to protest and they said, she's no good. She's not worth wow sending these men up over and you're watching it and you're like wow like I'm just looking at it like wow these people sound crazy wild and the thing is that attitude is is so I was talking about this with my husband and it's like okay if you have a situation where you've got two adults things get a bit confusing a bit blurred there's two adults how can one person or one woman be raped gang raped how can she be asking for that Mm, it's so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's so my husband's like how can you justify that somebody was asking to be gang raped it's so strange as well because I often think that when you hear that kind of rhetoric about you know oh boys will be boys or what do you, do you expect kind of trope I always think oh god I actually have so much higher an opinion of men than you obviously do because I think that they have a brain which is why I don't just think oh <sighs> You get what you're asking for, basically. I'm like, that's not a thing unless you think that all men are animals. So... Well, yes. The fact that this could happen and then everybody was like, she was asking for it. Men were like, she was asking for it. Women were even more outraged saying that she was asking for it. And she was 22 at the time. And two years after the trial, she ended up passing away. Oh, my God. I can only assume that there was more tragic circumstances to it. Well, she became an alcoholic and then she was drink driving. So 
like her life was just completely torn apart by this because in the trial they actually said her name and then she had to move out of her community and it was all very traumatizing but that really really blew my mind I've watched a couple of them now and it's just crazy and I think if you look at sort of violence against women and sexual assault specifically like attitudes have just been changing quite drastically maybe over the last three years like it's super contemporary now that those opinions are not the norm that's interesting that you say that i would say the opposite because i know that there were a couple of trials that happened in ireland over the past few years one of which at least the victim of this sexual assault had her underwear passed around like held up in court to demonstrate that because she was wearing a a thong the night that the assault took place, she was obviously a willing participant. Yeah, no, I'm saying that the act, like, I'm saying that that she was asking for it is still very common. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I thought you meant that we were, like, making leaps and bounds, and I was thinking... No, (laughs) I think they've just slightly changed. Maybe in the last, you know, with the Me Too movement, there's been a slight change. Mm. So I think it's not polite now to say she was asking for it. Yeah. They'll say things like, oh, women should be listened to, but this needs to be verified. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the language is is really changing. And what was interesting about the trial is they said that the defendant's lawyers were so aggressive that female activists came out and they said that the goal of this trial is actually to put victims off. Mm -hmm. Right? So when you talk about someone's underwear being passed around in court, that is a dog whistle to women who have, you know, victims to basically not come out. We're going to ruin you. Yeah. And when she died, when this young woman died, no one cared. Like it was a blip. It was barely even covered by the news. It was a non-story. Oh my God, how awful. You know, so her life was ruined. Her life was ruined twice, sort of by the incident and then by the trial. Very interesting. And then you have the story of Amadou Diallo. And I don't know if you know who he is. I'm not, no. Yeah. So in 1999, Amadou Diallo was an immigrant in New York who was killed by police. But it was a huge issue or it was a huge it really really blew up because this one man was at his door and he was shot 41 times by the police oh my god so it was massive and then like Wycliffe Sean made a song about this it was like a massive thing in like black culture and he was from Guinea so his family was from West Africa and when he was killed his mother went to the U.S. and the people in the U.S. were saying you know to his mom like you're fighting for us as well like and and, yeah very very awful but just watching the episode on Amadou Diallo and like his mother I was like wow she was so strong so dignified and she's still kind of keeping his legacy alive and unfortunately it's still the same situation right yeah of course which is excellent it just showed how the impact of the media in these types of cases so I would really recommend this trial by media if you're into the media and if you're into politics very very good show so I watched that God, that sounds so heavy duty. Well, I mean, I don't know. Everyone's different. Like, it, for me, it wasn't, like, super heavy duty. Like, the Amadou Diallo one was definitely very, very sad. And they're sad. Yeah. You know, there was a, I'll tell you one last tale about one episode. <laughs> the Jenny Jones one. Basically, this guy came on the Jenny Jones show to say, I've got a crush on my friend. Oh, God. So let's say you're so weird. Come yeah, on. So let's say you're coming on the show, but you don't know who has a crush on you. You don't know if they're male. You don't know if you're female. Oh, my God. And it was a man telling another man, oh, I've got a crush on you. Why and would they, you they... do that on a TV show? Why would you tell anyone you had a crush on them on a TV show? I know. And I guess they knew each other. So maybe he thought it would be funny. And then they go on this TV show and the guy is like, oh, no, I want everyone to know I'm 100% straight. 
I'm not interested in this. And then after the show, they go back to their state. They're all like, you know, whatever. But this guy is still kind of trying to flirt with him. Oh, my gosh. And then this guy just goes, gets a shotgun. (gasps) No! Juliet, that is not the twist that I was expecting this story to take. But what was basically the family's victim, the young man that died, like his family ended up suing the network that Jenny Jones was on and said, you guys are liable. Like, how could you put someone in this position? And so it came out essentially that that guy who, the murderer, was like a closet homosexual. That's what they insinuated (gasps) in the trial. Like he had had an affair. Oh my God. And he just didn't want it to come out. And like, I think he was just humiliated sort of it coming out on national TV. Well, him being associated with a gay guy on national TV, he got very, very upset and he shot the guy. Do you know what though? I think that it is emblematic. And I know that this has been said by more articulate people than me, that like the leaps and bounds that we've made with regards to celebrity and media and things like that. Like we've made more advances in the past 30 years than we had in the hundred years before that. And I think that this thing of throwing normal people into a quote unquote celebrity situation like we're just not built for it and yeah, but nobody's built for it nobody, like celebrities built aren't for built for it but when you're like a reality star when you're a voyeur who then suddenly becomes the person who is being voyeured for want of a better turn of phrase like people are just not prepared for that you look at love island and you look at the high propensity of suicides attached to a show yeah like, but i think that the real trigger for this guy was the fact that now people were thinking he was a homosexual. You oh, know? yeah, no. And they put his father on the stand, and, like, his dad was, like, he came from a, a, an abusive household. The dad was making jokes about him and that guy being the F word. So I think he was just, had so much rage. And then how does that play out in the media? You know, what do people think? So really fascinating. I can't wait to watch the rest. <laughs> I will say as a kind of more recent follow-up on that, I don't know if you've read John Ronson's book about cancellation culture. No. Uh, So John Ronson firstly has an amazing podcast called The Butterfly Effect, which is worth listening to if anyone's still stuck at home and like looking for a distraction while they're doing work. But he also has a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And he wrote it in 2015. And basically what he did within that book was find people who had, to varying degrees, been subjected to online shaming and been quote-unquote cancelled. And he was just talking, you know, kind of about public shaming as an internet phenomenon because it's one thing that I don't think we talk about enough. You know, we talk about how subcultures, and we'll be talking about that more later, about how subcultures congregate in different areas of the internet. But you can just be minding your business and still get cancelled. But what's his point about shame? Well, about the long-term effects of it. So Mm. something might go viral. Someone's a joke for however long, a couple of weeks, a month maybe. And then we, by and large, as a society, forget about them. But they've had to live with their whole life being blown apart, basically. And strangers on the street, strangers on the internet, knowing who they are and just absolutely coming for them. And obviously there's different degrees of like culpability within this. But it is just a fascinating like mm. idea that we're all susceptible. It's groupthink. We all can get pulled into it. But we know that we wouldn't be able to handle it if it was directed at us. Well, I haven't got pulled into that. Like, I don't shame people on the internet. But shame is very, very intense. And that's basically what drove that guy on the Jenny Jones show to go and kill the person who Mm. had the crush on him. 
because they said mm-hmm. that he was ashamed. He was embarrassed. They said because he was embarrassed. So in the court, they tried to present it more like a crime of passion. Like he was so embarrassed, like he was just like triggered. But it was deeper than that. I mean, the guy had some mental health issues. I mean, that is a, as good an opportunity to remind everyone who's listening, if you're based in the UK this week, that this is actually UK Mental Health Awareness Week. So obviously, we've been talking about the stories that that Juliet just mentioned with like a degree of incredulity. We are not going to be dedicating the whole of this episode to mental health. But what I would say is anyone who's listening who has maybe struggled with their mental health, and I think that most people will have done to varying degrees, please do reach out. There are resources available to you. Um, Reach out to a friend or a family member or whoever you feel safest doing so if you are struggling with your mental health, especially at this time when I think that a lot of people have had any kind of underlying issues exacerbated. Yeah, I think a big thing that people are doing now is just like realizing how much of an impact the internet has on your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people just like take a step back because it's crazy. It's very, very intense. Yes. So yeah, I consume so much content. I don't know how I'm still standing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm consuming a lot of content. This stuff around just like reopening in the UK is just kind of crazy. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, the long and short of it is I think that it's too soon for us to be going back to work. I think that we were too late in reacting in the UK. And I think that there is this kind of like economy overall attitude that it's like oh the most important thing is for the economy to recover but you only ever hear people who will not be affected by the ramifications of that saying that if that makes sense yeah and it's interesting around the new slogan or the new message that we have in the UK which is stay stay alert control the virus (laughs) you know and then what I've realized it's really only working class people who have to control the virus everybody else can chill out at home absolutely absolutely and and the disparity in that messaging so again you know we've had this messaging of like stay at home do your part what is it like be a stay at home hero that kind of rhetoric and now this is being changed to stay alert and as you said it's working class people people who do not have the option to work from home who are going to feel the brunt of this hugely and I think what's funny about it as well is It's very clear that that is the case. Like the messaging holds up to very little inspection before you realize that. Because if I'm being told, oh, I can't see people from more than one household, for example, or I can only associate with people from X area, like I can see one parent, but not the other if they lived in different houses, for example, but my nanny and my cleaner can come over. That's interesting because obviously what's going to happen there is that my nanny and my cleaner in this context are far more susceptible to catching coronavirus. Yeah. And also teachers, you know, schools reopening in the UK, like state schools. So like in England, a state school is a free school. So they're pushing for like state schools to reopen. But then, you know, private schools are not even thinking about opening until September. Mm -hmm. Right. And private schools, I mean, a huge benefit is that the class sizes are smaller. Yeah. If you're just going to a regular comprehensive, let's say you're in secondary school, the average class size, and it might be more now, but last I read, the average class size was 30. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. 30 yeah, kids, minimum, right? Right. So it's a lot more difficult to social distance in those types of environments. Do they even have the resources? But what the strata of society that literally have less resources are being pushed out 
Yes, of course. And there's obviously a ripple effect to that. Like when you talk about, you know, public schools are private schools, basically, aren't they? Public schools are fee-paying schools here. Yeah. When you talk about those, invariably, the parents, the families that can pay for fee-paying schools are also probably in a wealth bracket, which enables them to social distance more effectively. Mm. Generically speaking, or to make a, you know, stereotypically speaking, they are also probably the households that have cleaners. So, Mm. as you said, to double down on that kind of working class being the people who are basically hung out to dry, surprise, surprise, by a Tory government once again, it's incredible that people aren't more upset about it. People don't seem to care. No. You know, I haven't really been personally impacted by COVID-19 yet. Like, I haven't lost any loved ones. You know, I haven't been impacted by it at all. And, you know, all my friends are working from home. Yeah. Right. So my friends who are working are doctors, junior doctors. Yeah. Right. But the majority of my friends are like working from home. And even the ones that are out there working, they're junior doctors. They're not delivery guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so, the thing as well, like to extrapolate on that, basically, like I've said before on this podcast. Uh, that... Just finish my point. I still have empathy. Mm. <laughs> I still think, oh, I'm still uncomfortable with the decisions the government is making. So that's why I'm confused. You don't have to lose someone to COVID-19 to have some empathy. But also what I was going to say is that to that point, like I've said before in this podcast, my husband isn't working at the moment, Mm. but there are no plans for hairdressers to go back until like, or certainly where he's based, which is Chelsea. There are no plans for him to go back until like 10th of July. Mm. And that is a trade, which you would think would be put in the same bracket as all of the other people who are being farmed back to go back to work straight away. But you are clearly putting like, a you know, we see the the protests in America and you see people going like, oh, I haven't had my roots done in this long. Like, let me get my hair done. And people <laughs> protesting because they think that they should be allowed to get those services again. You know, the people who are able to prioritize getting their hair cut, for example, are the people who are not being financially hugely impacted by COVID. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It bears examination, basically. As you said yourself, like you personally have not been impacted, but you can still have empathy and you can still imagine how traumatic this is for other people, for other families. Exactly. And just the lack of empathy in this country is very scary. Like, I mean, people will put on a show, like they'll jump on their doorstep and like bang their pots and pans. Mm -hmm. So they'll put on a show, but meaningful action? Nope. I don't think so. Like people should be writing to their MPs and, you know, really kind of be like outraged. But the people who do have power are just like, yeah, well, I'm at home. I'm chilling. I'm playing tennis. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm doing me. And yeah. um, yeah, And also what's so interesting now is that the right wing media are basically attacking Keir Starmer because he's not poor. Oh. Right. And they're going after him. But what's interesting is that, you know, can you really have a working class hero today? No. Zero hour contracts. Even if you have savings, there's always a crisis around the corner. So you're going to lose all of your savings Mm -hmm. in some kind of financial crisis, pandemic, Brexit. Right. So you can't build that socioeconomic infrastructure on your own to give you the peace of mind to go and advocate for other people. Because mm-hmm. you're in the rat race. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who That's do you so expect true. to be the leader of the Labour Party? The thing is, we've said this before, and it's very true, but the right wing band together like nothing else for a common good. And we can take examples from that, like Trump. Everyone hated him as the Republican nominee. But when he got that nomination, everyone who had been eviscerating him, Ted Cruz, Mitt Romney, 
name them, were suddenly like rallying behind this man. And the left just continues globally to tear itself apart. No, but isn't the left supporting Keir Starmer? Uh, yeah, but what I mean is, my point to that is that there's never going to be a working class hero because there's always going to be something. Now, mm. Jeremy Corbyn couldn't do right for doing wrong. Yeah. And but I by, think that, by working class hero, I mean of the working class. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't class Jeremy Corbyn as working class no, or no, Keir no, no. as working class. So that's why I don't get why they're attacking him. I don't get what the issue is. I think that it's anything that you can do to sow discord. So what I'm referring to in particular, and I think that you might be as well, is that there was an article in the Mail on Sunday talking about Keir Starmer and his supposed £10 million plot of land that he owns in, is it south of England? Sorry, I think. Sorry. So Keir Starmer is obviously head of the Labour Party, and the idea is to make him seem as inauthentic as possible. Now, I don't know if you read that article. I think you did, though, because I think you sent it to me, where they're just basically talking about, oh, well, he owns this big plot of land. He might even sell it. If he didn't sell it, there's a housing crisis going on. Why hasn't he sold it? This whole article ties itself up in hypothetical knots about what he might do or what he might not do. If he sells it, this is how much he could sell it for. By the way, both of his parents have died and he owns a stake in their house, which is on the market for 480000 And it's like the idea is, as you said, to discredit him before he's even started, because how could he possibly be campaigning for you, the working class, for your best interests when he's sitting on $10 million? But mm-hmm. what, you think that Boris Johnson is instead? It's very sick and twisted, and I'm not a media expert, so I don't really understand it. But I think that because Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer is doing okay in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's like, oh, he can't authentically care about education. He can't care about healthcare. He can't care about the common man in the UK. Mm-hmm. But Jacob so therefore, does. Yeah, exactly. Want. So therefore, what are the options? <laughs> what are the options? And that's it. It's in the same way that Donald Trump, I think, has really made bank on making people think that he's the everyman in the States and that he's rooting for you and you've been absolutely downtrodden by everyone who's come before. But guess what? He's got your best interests at heart. And I sent you an article during the week. I don't know if you got a chance to read it. Basically talking about, it was in the New Yorker, how the Greenwich scene in Connecticut, US, rallied behind Trump. Mm. And this is like the uber, uber wealthy, like this particular area in Greenwich has got more billionaires than anywhere else in the United States. They're talking about how initially everyone was embarrassed to say that this is who they were voting for. Everyone was keeping it a secret, but then it became clear how much money they were all going to save. And it was a snowball effect. And guys, we will link it after the show because honestly, it is One of the most eye-opening pieces that I have read in the past, I don't know how long, and it really brought me back to 2015 when Trump was going for his first presidential run and I was out for dinner with some family and one of my relatives who's Canadian was saying that he had been speaking with some of his clients in the state and he was like, whatever happens, it's going to be a Republican because we've got Texas, you look at Texas, they will throw their weight behind Trump 100% unequivocally. It's fine, it's done. Played out exactly as he said. Yeah, but ultimately, you know, it's always going to be Trump because the Democrats don't present a real alternative. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So you might as well just vote. 
based on your tax cuts because they are not really giving you an alternative. And people that kind of know Trump, you know, based on just like, you know, him being from New York and like the way Trump was, he was always hanging out, not always hanging out, but he was a socially liberal guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But ultimately he's always going to want to put on a show as well and do what's in his own personal interest, right? That's always going to drive his policy. So yeah. if the other guys are not presenting me with a real alternative, like I'm just going to back the guy that's going <laughs> to give me my tax cuts and I'm going to chill out. And yeah. now it is socially acceptable. It's yeah. socially acceptable to be in Trump's corner. And you know what? It will be interesting to see globally because there is going to be a fiscal impact to COVID. And I know I've just I've just said about like, I don't think that the economy is more important than the loss of human life. But there is going to be a ripple effect. There is going to be some kind of ramifications here. Taxes are likely to go up to offset interest rates, to offset inflation. And the things that people were losing their mind over when the general election took place in December last year about taxes potentially going up or people who were earning over 80 grand a year having to pay marginally more tax. That's going to happen. And it's mm. going to happen with Boris as your prime minister instead of Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, but... I think it's likely to happen here. So, yeah, let's see how, how it plays out. Like, I just got sent an article, someone saying they think Boris is going to be out by December. Oh, I... Um, <laughs> we can I only cannot hope. have another prime minister I didn't vote for. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, what have you been up to? Right. Well, what I have been up to is reading about incels. And I know you must feel like that's deja vu, but I've got to be so honest with you. After we released the episode, the last episode where we were talking about the incel movement, and I had started reading about it, I mean, we had so many people get in touch and be like, this has blown my mind. Oh my God, I didn't even know that this was a thing. We had some people be like, oh, you're only scratching the surface, which I thought yeah, was- Yeah, the reaction was super, like, for me, surprising, because I didn't know. Yes. I didn't know that this was, like, obviously I've said on the last podcast, I'm aware of what the incel movement is, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was something that Jules and Phoebe listeners would be plugged into. I was just entertaining you. I just thought, oh, she wants to discuss it. Let's go. I mean, I'm literally waking up at 8 a.m. and people are like, oh, gosh, you guys don't know the half. You don't know anything. I was like, whoa. I know. So this is the thing. And obviously, at this point, anyone who's been listening to us for a while knows that at some point in most episodes, I will put on my tinfoil hat and I'll be like, well, I was reading a thing on the internet that said. (laughs) Um, I'm going to try really hard not to do that today. However, it was very, very, very difficult to not get super sucked into like literally lizard people rhetoric going on. It was insane. But actually what we found and what a couple of people said to us as well, I don't know if you found this in anything that you subsequently read as well, Jules, but that there's actually quite a lot of overlap with the incel movement and white supremacy. Some of you are probably, Uh. yeah, I was going to say, some of you are probably hearing that and being like, yeah obviously yeah, but um, we were on the last podcast I was googling this incel thing and I'm like okay this is super white it occurred to me that oh this is really white but I thought that everyone was so preoccupied with being celibate that they didn't have time to care about anything else and it seems that that was really wrong now yeah I did read an interesting article where and I think this was in the New Yorker and I'll link it in if I can find it that the writer was saying that there are 
many groups of people who are used to being rejected, mm-hmm. right? So because of disability, because of trauma, because of race, because of their weight, like there are people who are used to not getting the hot guy or mm-hmm. in this case, the hot girl, right? But they're not incels, right? That's not right. what the incel movement is about. And so people do focus on the involuntary celibacy, mm-hmm. but that's just that's- like the tip of the iceberg. They're preoccupied with that, but ultimately it's really about male supremacy and white supremacy. Yes. Misogyny and white supremacy, basically. The reason that this is interesting as well is because we are recording this on Monday 18th of May. And when we first started talking about this, I mentioned that part of the reason that it came up was because Charles and I were watching the Matrix trilogy for the first time or for my first time. And there's a bit in the film about the red pill and the blue pill. The red pill means that you wake up and you realize the truth. And the blue pill is that you continue as you are and you don't basically question the status quo. So taking the red pill means waking yourself up to inceldom. And this, as a turn of phrase, has very much so been co-opted by... But when they say waking themselves up to inceldom, what does that mean? So taking the red pill basically means that you realize that actually we live in a society where women always have the upper hand over men and so it is not your fault that you're not getting action yeah it's because women are sluts it's because women are sluts and also women are inherently bad so Mm -hmm. women are deliberately withholding sex from you Mm -hmm. and it is your right to get it but because women are so inherently bad in nature Mm -hmm. they deliberately will choose to ignore you because they don't think you deserve it because they like to create this hierarchy. It's not your fault that you're a beta or a cuck or... And I did actually find a thing called the incel dictionary as well, so... Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah, you might have to explain things as you go along. So women are bad and taking the red pill is accepting that women are to blame for your problems. Accepting that and accepting and realizing that actually society discriminates against men, not women. And so when women are like, oh, misogyny, sexual assault, it's like, oh, wah, wah, you (laughs) are saying that. But the rhetoric will be things like there's no such thing as rape because you should be happy that you're having sex full stop. So the idea that a woman can turn around and say that wasn't consensual is nonsense because women can always choose who they have sex with. Even Mm. if you're fat and ugly and disgusting, you as a woman still have more privilege than me, a man, because if you want to have sex, you can have sex. It was a trip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... It was a real trip, I've got to be honest with you. So there's a term called, this will be a clunky, I'd say, pronunciation, but hypergamy, Mm. um, which is basically females mating with higher status males. So even if you are an ugly woman, like I said, you could still hypothetically perhaps not get a Chad, but you could get a beta. So Chad is the ultimate. He's the alpha's alpha. He's Mm. the best of them all. He's good looking. He's... So who would you say the Chad? Like, if we were to use a celebrity, who is that? David Beckham? That's a good shout, actually. The one that gets mentioned a lot in these incel-type forums is actually David Gandhi, who is a male model. I don't know if you remember the... Oh, I don't know this guy. You'll know him from the Dolce & Gabbana Blue. Oh, right, yes. 
that those perfume ads okay. he is the guy yeah. from that and he is like the he's the oh, alpha, he's alpha. super super chaddish he's super chaddish he's also yeah. like it's supposedly a really nice guy but yeah, i'm sure he is so he's the he's a chad then there's an alpha why do they name him something to do with it, like his bone structure i guess the fact that he is like hyper masculine he's super ripped he's got a big jawline like he is stereotypically attractive and he's white <laughs> Yeah. So then under your chads, you've got your alphas. So they, again, are like alpha males, can sleep with whoever they want, are earning loads of money, will be with a Stacy, which is like... who's that? So who's the alpha male then? Well, it's hard to say who an alpha male is because ultimately there's a certain degree of celebrity that goes with being a chad. And if you're an alpha, you're probably just a good-looking, successful, like, quote-unquote, normal man. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so if you're an alpha, you are a successful, normal guy? Yes. So not quite when I say normal, there is also a category called normies, but I'm trying not to overcomplicate this. Basically, if you are a Chad, there's a good chance that you're famous. That's why we're talking about like our David Gandhi's and you could be living a quote unquote normal life as an alpha. So if you're an alpha, you're like Jamie Dimon. I don't know who that is. Uh, CEO of JP Morgan. Oh, yes. Fast cars, fast women. But is he good looking? Because you're still good looking. looking He's not a bad looking guy at all. Well, there you go. Yeah. So you are a good looking, hyper successful guy, but you're not a celebrity, basically. Then you've got your betas who are just under your alphas, obviously. And then you've got normies. You're basically constantly going down the ladder. So you'll have a lower degree of sex or lower degree of sex. Who would be an example of that? No, because we're getting to the point now where we're just naming normal people and you're going to make me say someone and be like, Oh, no, but God. we're trying to give our listeners the picture because a lot of people are new to this topic. So okay. who would we say? So is, if we... a beta is still a guy that can interact with women. They're just not the top of the food chain. Yeah, it's tough because like, let's say a beta might be someone like your manager at work. David Schwimmer? Oh, maybe but the fact that he's famous makes it difficult as well like we're going we're going more into no, put the put the fame aside he's just like a nice guy a normal guy funny i mean yeah i mean if he wasn't a famous actor he would be just like a regular guy toby Maguire would be probably a better example of okay. someone who if he wasn't famous would be like please stop talking to me but he's fine like he's perfectly he's perfectly fine to talk to you okay go on a couple of dates with him he'll get a nice wife he's having sex oh right Um, got it and then normies a step lower than that again maybe this is so hard I wasn't thinking of like celebrity categories when I was learning these names maybe Jonah Hill someone's gonna get in touch with me and be like how dare you you would say that Jonah Hill is a normie I think so because he's just a normal guy he's not thinking about it in any deeper terms so he's not an incel and basically, you go from like. I, had to, I, I, I wouldn't put him one step above Intel. He's actually quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like, he's a normal, like, he's not, you're not stopping in the street to normie. look at him. Danny DeVito? Yeah, maybe Danny DeVito. <laughs> Just like a normal guy. Just a normal guy. I think Jonah Hill is a normal guy. You're like, oh, he's quite cool, but like. Anyway. Yeah, Jonah Hill is a normal guy. Yeah. So, anyway complete tangent you've got all of these different categories and where we talk about what I hadn't been exposed to basically when my first look at it was the white supremacy aspect of it so it's probably unsurprising to a lot of you obviously incels are mostly Caucasian heterosexual 
the idea is that if you are a homosexual man, you are a complete failure because the only reason that you're having sex with men, well, now it, it differs a little bit within the incel community here, but the idea for some people is that you're only having sex with men because you can't have sex with women. Then there are some other people that are thinking, well, at least you're having sex. So, <laughs> so it's very polarizing. And again, please get in touch with me if there's something that you feel I've gotten wrong here. That's this was a roller coaster. Angle. So some of you don't think some of the incels are not like just closet in the closet homosexuals? I don't think so. There doesn't okay. seem to be a propensity for that at all because there is deep rooted misogyny at play here. Mm. And it's an overperformance, you know, mm. and it's an over desire for that like hyper masculinity. Now, one thing I did think was interesting when I was starting reading about this, I was saying it to my husband and he was like, you know, I can't imagine that there are that many people who think like this, who feel like this. I obviously mentioned that I'd gone down the Reddit rabbit hole. Reddit actually deleted one of their biggest incel forums back in 2017 when it became clear that a lot of people were really idolizing Elliot Roger, who was the Isla Vista killer. Mm. So the Reddit community that they deleted, the forum that they deleted had 40,000 members. So that to me is a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And that's a lot of people who have congregated in one place. There are different incel communities. Now, a couple of people actually got in touch with me as well to let me know about the origin of the incel term. It was actually a Canadian woman named Alana who set it up in a very like good natured way. So she basically started this forum talking about how she was involuntarily celibate because she was shy and a bit socially awkward. And she thought it would be nice for people to have an opportunity to come together and talk about, I find it difficult to talk to people I'm attracted to, or I find it difficult to initiate the first date or so on and so forth. She was distraught to find out that the term had been co-opted. So she started this up in 1993 and in 2000, She had kind of like improved her social confidence a little bit. She seeded the site, this incel site, to somebody else who was going to admin it on her behalf because she had started dating. She had become more comfortable with her sexuality. And she only found out much later that it had been co-opted for this very like hyper-misogynistic, violent subculture. I don't know how you handle that when you find out someone like that. Well, I mean, what was she sad about? She was sad because the fact she felt that she had basically created a monster and her. Well, you didn't create the monster. It already existed. But then they were able to like co-opt it, the brand. I thought she was upset that she hadn't trademarked it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's what she'd be worried about her money. Okay, Alana, no one's got time. All right, next. (laughs) She's upset because the Internet co-opted it. Okay. no, she was upset that it became this violent thing. So before it had been like a nice community, it would be like if someone started meeting up under the guise of Jules and Phoebe, but actually Jules and Phoebe was a fucking gender-based terrorism group. Yeah, well, I would be upset that I had not trademarked my name, right? (laughs) So I wasn't getting my money. So that's what I'd be upset about. No, but I mean, of course, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like sad. It's not really cool. It's so twisted. Like I can barely really get it. It's very, very twisted. And then what's interesting from what I've been reading about this is the whole, you know, the fact that, yes, essentially the incel movement is a white supremacist group. Mm -hmm. But you do have non-white men who are incels Mm -hmm. online. And that's super interesting because obviously there's a certain level of anonymity online. Mm -hmm. 
And so these men, they've got so much internalized self-hatred that they basically believe that white is right. Yes. Yeah, and they feel like they can't compete in the marketplace. Absolutely. And there is a term or an acronym that goes around within these communities called JBW, which stands for Just Be White. So Mm. like if someone's asking for advice, for example, like, what should I do? This is a picture of me. Like, what can I do to improve? Other incels within the group will just be like, oh, JBW, because Caucasian men have the highest success rates. But do they? I don't know. I don't, I don't believe that they... I absolutely <laughs> don't believe that they do. I mean, come on. But then, again, it feeds into this, like, internalised racism and your own kind of belief that because we do live in a white supremacist society, you are going to believe that actually, oh, yeah, white is best. Mm-hmm. And so often, like, you know, when you look at the, the chads that they will refer to, the David Gandhis, invariably they are white a lot of the time. Yeah, so when I was reading about it in terms of just like men of color let's say being incels they were saying that like there are indians and asians Mm -hmm. primarily like men of indian heritage and men of asian and in the u.s context that's usually like east asian heritage who sort of identifies incels online so they didn't say anything about black guys being (laughs) incels So for once, my people are not included. We are not involved in this incel stuff at all. We are not involved, guys. This is so cool. This excluded is amazing. Excluded from the narrative. Oh my god, excluded. Like yes. yes, in the East Asian culture, mm. like white men are definitely on top. Yeah. So a lot of like East Asian women do prefer white guys. Mm-hmm. European American guys so there's this comedian that I love on Netflix Ali Wong oh yes oh my gosh she's so funny and she has uh, her husband's also Asian oh right yeah and this was like a big thing she's like oh, I'm really proud of us because like we're an Asian couple you know and a lot of people just assume because I'm an Asian woman that my husband's going to be white and I'm like booyah my husband's Asian And so it's just something that is like common in the East Asian culture. And so there was this whole thing I read a while back where East Asian men were feeling a bit on the back foot like to white guys. And I don't know much about this from the from the Indian context. So if you are Indian of your Indian heritage and you've got some insight, let us know. But I definitely know from an East Asian perspective, it's definitely a thing. That's so interesting. and so it's interesting that some of these guys online would be gravitating towards the, yeah. the incel movement. And you do sort of internalise that racism and feel like, oh, you all have to look like some chad to get girls. Yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. And that there is almost like a caste system being put in place yes. within this incel community where some people will still do better than others. Some incels will do better than others because at least they've got the fact that they're Caucasian going for them. And I think that that's absolutely true. Yeah, and these incels must be... Because if you think about the marketplace, the sexual marketplace, and it's definitely a stereotype, and I wouldn't, like, push the stereotype, but, like, black men are seen as, like, macho. Mm -hmm. Black men are hypersexualized everywhere. Fetishized. And fetishized, right? So... I can imagine that incels must be just so anti-black, mm, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, it's interesting about the femcel movement, so the women who are involuntary celibates. And then when I Googled femcel, I found a picture of this really attractive black woman with this really attractive black guy. 
and then like you know these fem cells are trolling being like your kids are going to end up stupid because you're with this black woman so she was with a, a black guy or a white guy it was a black woman who was with a white guy who ah, was like okay. chad-esque right right you know, right that sort of epitome of white masculine mm-hmm. masculinity and it's unforgivable that he now has and he stepped out with wow. this black woman basically and you know people were raging online how perplexing i mean i just can't think about it if you were a female incel it's all about white is right Mm -hmm. these chad men never look at you and then you see this man with a non-white woman Mm -hmm. this must be very offensive they were living their best lives (laughs) (laughs) you're having a great time they were having a great time but i do think as well it's interesting because i do whatever whenever you read anything about incels right And there's a Washington Post article that I will link as well. It's behind a paywall, but you can, not to sound like another weekly podcast, which always is touting the benefits of the Times paywall, but you can actually read this article for free. You get two free articles a week from the Washington Post. And when they're talking about incels, it's immediately like men are not doing okay. So there is always a sympathetic angle when this is being written about in mainstream media, which is so perplexing. And it's interesting to note that but even... Men, men are not doing well. Men are not doing well, but I want to put a pin in that because what I think is interesting about it is that even then within the fem cell space, that same courtesy is not given. And there was an article that I was reading, so post on the forum incels.me. Uh, <laughs> I know. I mean, you couldn't make it up. But basically a fem cell gave a detailed account of her own struggle. And the quote begins with, this is a Vox article, I'll share it. Before you judge, no, I am not alone because I have high standards. It is not voluntary. No one in my entire life has ever shown any interest in me. The rest of the thread was filled with posters calling the original poster, the femcel, a liar, a troll, a vapid whore, lonely and unloved, and pig woman. She was then banned from the forum. So, so she went onto an incel forum. She went onto an incel forum. So. Oh, right. That was unacceptable as far as the yeah. incels were concerned. Well, I think even me, maybe it's internalized misogyny, but it's so like men sleep with anything. Any hole is a goal. So I'm just like, okay. Any any hole is literally a goal. That is awful. What do you mean? That is awful. That I think that I would absolutely believe that this woman has genuinely not had anyone show any real interest no, in her. No. No? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because I my, think... my belief, one of the, the core beliefs of my life is that any hole is a goal. You know, I also believe that everybody's attractive in their own way. Mm. So I do think a lot of this stuff is personal issues and trauma that people need to resolve. Absolutely. There's definitely, there's got to be a high propensity of mental health issues with people within this community and trust me the issue with people as well it's like sometimes people are let's say they're a five out of ten right but they always want to date like a 10 out of 10 100 100 this, this leads to a misalignment in the dating market yeah um, and so you can end up sort of having had no interest 
because you consider the people that like you to not be good enough for you. Yes. And actually this, I won't be able to share this because I'll never be able to find it again. But long before I fell down this incel rabbit hole, I saw this interaction on Twitter. It was an incel for all intents and purposes saying, I am short, I'm fat and ugly and I don't earn a lot of money. And I've never had anyone say yes to a date with me or I've never had anyone express any interests in me. And someone had responded to the tweet and said how many short fat ugly women have you asked out and he went none why would I do that (laughs) so like the lack of awareness is incredible you know one must cut their cloth according to their size no but this is the reality like people just don't know what they're doing I mean my husband's better looking than me so I can't like get into it too much I don't know how I've wangled that but (laughs) no I don't think that's the right example basically (laughs) This woman is saying that no one has ever shown interest in me. Not that my partner is a great catch. They're just like, no one has ever shown interest in me ever. I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive. I believe there's someone for everyone. I do think that there is someone for everyone. I think that there, you know, we live in a very hyper-sexualized world. And we live in a world like the internet definitely exacerbates a lot of these feelings because you live in a world where you do feel like, oh, this person is better looking than me. This person has more money than me. This person is smarter than me. So the internet just magnifies all of Mm -hmm. that. And through my own research, my understanding is that a lot of these incel guys are just not particularly privileged and unwell. Yeah, absolutely. But there's some that work and are like in normal society. (laughs) It's all quite confusing. I mean, I want everyone to have a good think about whether or not you know an incel. I don't think that I do. I Um, thought about it and I don't. I, I don't think I do. I must have, I, I may have well encountered someone maybe in university. I don't know. But yeah, I. And if they it, are, it's not because of what they look like. They just might be socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's what you do with that social awkwardness. Homeless mm-hmm. guys are getting action. Homeless guys. <laughs> like <laughs> the bottom of the food chain. I did want to no, talk Come on, to- come on. <laughs> You know, you know, like... Have you seen a homeless person have sex? What are you talking about? I'm not saying that they're not having it, but you're saying it like, oh, no, come on, we both know. I've seen it so often where this guy was like, oh, I was dating this girl because I needed a place to live. Like, I didn't have a place to live. I was living in my car. I get you. Sorry, I thought that we meant, like, properly... No, but even those properly homeless people have their, their girlfriend. I'm sure... This is a complete segue from what this is actually about. Yeah, but it just about. completely breaks down this thing about like women are trash and they only want good looking rich guys. Yeah, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> this is I, not true. If, if I could definitively say like throughout my life, oh yeah, no, I only ever dated, you know, very good looking rich guys. I'd be living a very different life, I think, to the one I'm living now. So I've only dated good looking rich guys, we thank God, but I'm not the norm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not everyone. <laughs> Anyway, one thing that I wanted to say... Looking rich guys like my husband. (laughs) One thing I did want to say, now when we talk about the co-opting of the red pill term, right, that is now being used by a lot of people on the alt-right to be like, wake up, realise that, particularly in the case of America, realise that the Democrats are not doing anything for you. Forget the blue wave, you want the red pill, you want the GOP. 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 Do you know what GOP stands for? Grand old party? 
Yeah. 10 points for me. 10 points for you. I never knew that. Like, I assumed it would stand for something. I, I heard it being referred to as, like, grand old, good old party, whatever. I assumed that was, like, a colloquialism and that it had, a, like, a serious definition as well. How bizarre. Anyway. No, I think that's the definition. It is the definition. Oh, okay. It's just so strange to me that, like, it could be something as kind of flippant as that that doesn't even really mean anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, long story short, yesterday, Sunday, 17th of May, Elon Musk tweeted, take the red pill, which was immediately taken as a call to arms, basically, for people to vote Republican, that Elon Musk was throwing his weight behind the Trump administration. It was quickly retweeted by Ivanka Trump, who said, taken, as in she had taken the red pill. And yeah, I thought that that was serendipitous, that we were Mm. planning on talking about this today anyway, and... Then he so firmly brought that into the public sphere again. Now, Elon Musk is not a great guy. Elon Musk is not a great guy. Like, principally, he's not a great guy. He's got some issues. But he's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And billionaires can say what they want and do what they want. Can say what they want. So, basically, this was said... We're so uh, obsessed with wealth. We are obsessed with wealth. We're obsessed with celebrity. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like... Your husband made a great comment as we were talking about all of this going on and we were preparing for the podcast today. And Jules's husband said, this man is literally a car salesman, but he <laughs> is being lauded. Do you know, he's revered and all of his opinions are like, oh my God, so astute, so erudite. Like, And it's true. He sells cars. He sells cars, but he's quite brilliant though. He's not that brilliant though. Uh, he has inherited wealth like this narrative it's it's similar but he has a vision and he's very dedicated to that vision and he's also a very aggressive capitalist he is an aggressive capitalist very very aggressive worship capitalism like nothing worship it yeah and it's like people can't get enough of it yeah um and it's it's mad and the thing is with elon musk and tesla that's like another dark area of the web like Mm -hmm. people are very 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 dedicated and like slightly loopy yes so I've got no issue with like alternative investments but it's a whole like bitcoin crazy crew and the crazy side of the bitcoin like Tesla is its like own movement he's kind of like the leader of a cult basically 100% and now the incel movement have chosen to interpret that as Elon Musk letting him know that he is aligned with them, right? Yeah, oh, actually, we live in a matriarchy. Society is geared up for women to succeed. Men are the underdogs. And- yeah, it's a bit difficult. I think when you when someone is a celebrity, people do impose their own ideas onto them. Onto them. Yeah, so I don't know enough about Elon Musk to know if he is now, like an incel guy. I am just uh, fixing my little tinfoil hat now, yeah. because the next thing that I wanted to say... <laughs> was that I don't think that Elon Musk is an incel. I don't think that he intended for his statement to be interpreted that way. I don't think he gave any real thought to whether yeah, I really don't think it's that deep for him. However, I do think that it was a dog whistle to the alt-right, and I think it was a call to arms to the Trump administration. And the reason I think this, mm. I'm going to drop drop a bomb... I think that he is campaigning for that defense contract. He is looking to be heading up Space Force or whatever it is that Trump called it. And he is, he's not a political donor. 
Musk has donated relatively little to to campaigns over the years. He's, I think, over the past five six years, he's donated a, a total of a hundred thousand um, mm. to various political campaigns. He supported Hillary twice. Yeah, but so he I, was on a task force. He was on like a Trump task force when Trump was first elected. Yes, and so. But then he I resigned. Think he goes where the money is. Is as you said, he's a capitalist. He sees an opportunity for himself to get this defense contract. And why not? This world is so crazy. You better go where the money is. Like it's obviously we should have our limits. Yes. Equally, this man is a billionaire. He plays oh, fast yeah. and loose with his own shareholders. He's already got a lot of money. Like last time he tweeted something about like, I think our stock is too expensive or something like that. There were people subtweeting him being like, you've just lost me 10,000 pounds. It's nothing yeah. to him. The volatility of the market is a joke to him. Yeah, that's so true. And when he's going, you know, I think we should be able to go back to work and tweeting absolute nonsense like that all I bad. ask. That, that was, was sad. Yeah. And when he was tweeting nonsense like, you know, if you see me saying to the police or whatever, you know, if you see me, all I ask is that I'm the only person arrested today. Elon, you can make bail. I absolutely <laughs> agree. You should be the only person arrested today. You are endangering the lives of others. Yeah, but the thing about him is he's like unhinged. He's like, unhinged. He's a billionaire. He doesn't care. Like he's in his own league. He's playing by his mm -hmm. own rules. Like he came out against some guy and he was saying that this person was a pedophile. And he was saying on the internet, yes. he dragged Oh my God, those kids were trapped in the cave. Yeah, like, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And what's funny is that, not funny really, but he's just had a child with his girlfriend Grimes, the musician, the artist. So he's tweeting this, he's saying, take the red pill. Ivanka Trump is retweeting him, so on and so forth. Donald Trump Jr. is tweeting him saying, welcome, like all of this kind of stuff. Grimes's mother, Sandy Garasino, then tweets, if your partner went through a challenging pregnancy and childbirth in the last two weeks, dot, 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 and you were over 16 years old, would you be blaring MRA bullshit on Twitter right now? MRA obviously stands for men's rights activism. And I think that this is the kind of issue, right? I don't think that he meant that as an incel dog whistle. However, it will be interpreted as such. Yeah, and also just the guy's got issues. Yeah, also he's a bit of a dickhead. Go take care. Go hang out with your kid, mate. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, leave us alone. It's crazy. I think that there's so many, like, dog whistles and, like, sub-tweeting and, like, sub-messages and it's all, like, super overwhelming. Stay alert. Mate, stay alert, basically. Basically. That's all you can really do because it's, it's really, really crazy out here. But, like, we guys... We started with a stay alert. We're finishing with a stay alert, guys. Yeah. Absolutely stay alert. This is so, so, so key. <laughs> There's a show on YouTube that I watch like every day. And it's about like, I watch it like when I'm in the shower and stuff. And it's about who the F did I marry? Oh my God. And it's basically yeah. about, you know, you marry someone and then you find out that they're a bigamist or they're a serial killer or all this stuff. What? Yeah, yeah but it's really interesting. It's like 15 minute clips. So I think I just watched the summaries. <laughs> I find it so interesting. But like, imagine if you just married a guy and then you found out he was an incel or he was like, oh, M -M my M-R-A, sorry. Absolutely. Um, if you've dated someone and you found out this like crazy stuff about them, let mm -hmm. us know. Oh my God, please do. <laughs> yeah, let us know we'll do an episode dedicated to the, like awful, what was your final straw? I once walked yes. out of a restaurant because a guy I was dating shouted at me like he had such a temper and he lost his temper with me in public and I just didn't know what to do. I was so like genuinely taken aback. 
that I like I recoiled as he was shouting at me and then he went to me like I'm gonna I won't do his accent I was gonna try to it was an Australian accent he just went oh what now you're gonna pretend you're afraid of me and I just thought oh you know what actually I think I'm just gonna dip and so I left and I remember I was waiting for it was wherever we were we were in East London so I was waiting for the overground and the overground sometimes like there's 10 minutes between trains and I remember thinking oh my god please don't mm. come onto this platform I do not want to see you again and I got home whatever it was like oh thank god he didn't follow me and then that evening I got a text being like I suppose I was meant to follow you and chase you and beg for your forgiveness and I was like mm, how I long think- in the relationship was that that guy sounds sick Honestly, beginning to end, we were probably seeing each other six weeks, not even. Oh, thank like, God. Like, you, you let the mask slip. Oh, Yeah, but also you clearly had enough wherewithal to just walk I away. Think, I think, yeah, but I think if he hadn't done it in public, I don't know if I would have done. Mm. Like, if he had just done that at his apartment, I probably would have been like, all right, well, let's not spoil the evening. But I was so embarrassed because people were looking over like, oh, my God. Because it was just yeah. so sudden. Also, it was Valentine's Day, so it was really packed, like, bar yeah. restaurant. So there was no hiding from it. So, you know, if you've got any stories like that, guys, I want to hear them. Yeah, tell us your stories. I'm more interested, like, okay, if you've been dating for someone for six weeks and you find out they're trash. I yeah, mean, no, I know. They, that, was a, that was a bad example. Like, Yeah, you know, but I was talking to a, people. Yeah, but I was talking <laughs> to a colleague, yeah, and she was saying how, like, you know, she's got friends who were engaged and now because of the lockdown they're not engaged anymore engagement's breaking up yeah so what has happened where you kind of like see a different side of the person and then you're like nope not for me yeah let us know we'll keep it super anonymous we'll keep it super anonymous I will say just as a final note I know that that was like a bad example we hadn't dated that long he did text me like a year or something later to apologize I was like I was going through a lot. So I just want to acknowledge that the way I behaved was not okay, which I really appreciated because I thought, oh my God, maybe I was being dramatic. But, you know. Did you reply? Yeah, I did. I was just like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, appreciate it. Probably took a lot for you to reach out. So, and that was the end of it. Okay, guys. So please share the podcast with a friend. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Jules Phoebe. We look forward to hearing all of your crazy stories. If you've also got any additional conspiracy theories, I'd love to hear those as well. (laughs) Please, if you get a chance, rate and review the podcast as well. It means a lot to us. It means that we also get on the radar of other people so that people like your lovely selves who are already listening to us can hopefully broaden our audience a little bit. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.